Welcome. We're very happy you tuned in today uh, to WNZN FM radio from Lorain, Ohio. A beautiful, beautiful summer day, and we're happy to be, uh, you know, on the air. We don't take these things for granted. It's a real privilege to be able to share what God's doing in the world. And so I'm here with my good friend and assistant, David Abood. David? John, how are you? Great to be here. Good, good, good to be here today. Yes, and as promised, we have a very special guest. Um, we've had Bible studies and apologetics the past couple yeah. of weeks. Yeah. But I've said that we're lining up some really good guests that are going to share their ministry and their testimony. And I think it's going to be a blessing to our listeners. So again, if you're having any problem hearing the station with the signal, you can just live stream us at www.wn, and as in Neverland, and <laughs> N, not M, and as in nickel, right. uh, wnzn.org. That's wnzn.org. So as promised, we have a very special guest. I think you're going to really enjoy her testimony and the ministry that she is involved in. This is MJ and comes to us from uh, actually a city on the East Coast. But uh, having said that, welcome MJ to the radio today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Okay, it's a blessing to have you. So we're here, MJ, and we've heard and talked with you. And uh, I just think your testimony is so interesting and what you're involved with today and the heart that you have uh, for the lost people to know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is just tremendous. But I thought what we would do is maybe just start with your testimony, how you grew up, uh, about your life, and how you came to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And we'll just use that to kind of launch it into, into the ministry then. Okay, that's wonderful. Um, so my name is MJ. I was born and raised in the inner city on the East Coast. My parents were originally from Haiti. It's a small island in the Caribbean. And so they migrated from Haiti to America right before I was born. But in Haiti, it's known for its voodoo worship. And so, so on my mother's side, they heavily were a part of um, this type of voodoo worship. My father's side, they were Catholic, but because of the influence over voodoo or the worship of evil in that country, most people, even though if they were Christian, were somehow tied to it. And so my, so my mother growing up, my grandmother was actually one of a voodoo priestess. So my mother, on my mother's side, were, the whole family was pretty much involved in it. And when they moved to the States, my, my dad asked my mom, can you please leave that behind and not uh, continue doing it? In and so because the voodoo worship was, you know, heavily involved in witchcraft, animism, it was just everything that was pretty much anti-Christ and anti-God. And so when they moved to the States, um, a few years later, they had me. Um, so I was born and raised in America, and but I have two older brothers and two older sisters that were born in Haiti. And so when my parents, um, so my parents worked long hours in factories or sweatshops in America as they were newly migrated here, barely understood English, and then eventually my brothers and sisters were able to join them. And living in the inner city was not the safest place, so my parents. Um, worked their best to put me in Catholic school in order to have a better education, and it just felt like it was a safer place to go. Um, however, I was growing up in a bilingual home where my family, my entire family spoke Creole, Haitian Creole, 
and I mainly spoke English. And so growing up in such a bilingual family and barely understanding the conversation with my brothers and sisters, I really, really wanted someone to relate to, someone who could understand me. So I was trying to figure out how can I get a little sister? And so during Catholic school, I was five years old in kindergarten, and we had religious class, and the teacher said, if you want anything from God, all you have to do is pray and ask him, he'll give it to you. And I said, anything? If you ask God for anything, he'll give it to you? And my teacher said, yes. That's what I said. If you ask God for anything, he'll give it to you. So from that moment on, I started to pray for a little sister. And at that point, my parents and family had said I was the last child. They were not having any more children. And so I spent two years secretly praying because my parents were not believers. So I was the only one who um, learned about God because I was going to Catholic school and heard about prayer. And so I prayed and I kept praying for two years to the point where I looked up and I just said, God, I've been praying for two years and you have not answered my prayers. My mom's getting older. This is not happening. And then I just looked up and I said, God, do you even exist since you didn't answer my prayer? And at that moment, I looked around and everyone was talking. Again, I couldn't understand what was going on. I asked my sister, what's happening? Can you please explain to me? And then she was talking with my other brothers to try and figure out the word. And then she finally figured out the English word. And she said, I think mom is pregnant. And I said, what? She's pregnant? She's like, yes, I think that's what's going on. And then lo and behold, my mom was pregnant with a little girl. And at that moment, I realized like, wow, God, you do exist. You answered my prayer. At that point, she thought she was going through menopause only to find out she was pregnant. Mm. And so I was so thankful. And then I knew God existed at that moment and that he answered my prayer and that he was real. And during my time in Catholic school, they would always ask questions like, who would want to be a nun? Who would want to be a priest? Who would want to be a missionary? And I remember raising my hand and saying, oh, I want to be a missionary. And it really had to do with the fact that I wanted to serve and honor him because I knew he was, he answered my prayer and he was real. But, um, and so as time went on into my teenage years, um, you know, we were still living in the city. My dad um, was working really hard to try and move out of the neighborhood we were living in um, to a better neighborhood. And during that time, he lost his job. He worked started working as a taxi driver. So it was hard financially for us. And during that time, um, my parents both decided to start going to church and became born-again believers. Mm. And my older sister also did as well. And I was praying about it, and as I prayed, I just, you know, I knew that I learned about God in Catholic school, but I also knew that I wanted to go deeper with God, that I knew that um, that there's a deafness of faith that I could have that I didn't have while I was in Catholic school. And so I decided to also become a born-again believer, and we all got baptized together. Wow. And uh, started... MJ, yeah. could you explain for the listeners... What you meant by born again? What happened? You were you were going to church, you were active in a church, but you said you wanted to go deeper in your relationship. Can you explain? Because we may have some, I'm sure, some listeners who may not understand fully what happened to you. Yes. So I was so growing up Catholic. I knew I learned all the Bible stories, but I've also learned a lot of different things that I um, was beginning to question that as I read my Bible between. Um, praying to saints and Mary and and as I started to go to this other church which was a 
Protestant church with my family, um, and we were, you know, they were teaching about, you know, Jesus is the only way. He's the only way to salvation. He's the one. Um, God is the only one you should pray to, and through Jesus, you know, our through Jesus we could um, meet with God. And so I knew that um, that I just I knew that I wanted to understand who God was more. So I understood him to a certain point, but I knew that there was more to God and there was more to Jesus. And in that, um, I was praying and asking to know God more. And at the same time, it's about having his Holy Spirit. Because um, you, know, you say like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Son is Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit, which is God's Spirit living inside of us. And so I wanted God's spirit to live inside of me. And in Catholic school, I never really asked for that, but I found myself asking for that when I was going to a Protestant church. And so, um, and so that's what I mean about okay. becoming born again. Very good. And so, yeah. And so we, we got baptized and, um, we, yeah, we got baptized together. We started serving the church together and it was, it was really great to see how my parents slowly changing um, and they became believers later on in their life. So it was a slower change in their lives um, in a sense of, you know, just starting all over again spiritually. Um, but as I was applying to colleges, I knew I wanted to go away to college and, and praying about it. And the Lord truly blessed me with getting into um, one of the top 10 colleges in the U S Oh. And so I went away to college, um, and it was, you know, it was something that I dreamed of going away to college, but just going, also going to a, a good college. What did you and study, so, Kay? Or what did you study, MJ? I studied sociology at the end. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and the reason why I studied it was because I got to college, and I realized that, you know, I was going to church, I was serving, I was reading my Bible, but I, I didn't know how to truly walk out a Christ-like life. Mm-hmm. And everything around me was challenging what I believed, and and I knew what I believed was to be real, but I just didn't know how to w- walk it out in the world. I just didn't know how to be a Christian world. I kind of sat in a little bubble, even in the city of my um, my Christian community, and now I was out of the bubble and realized like, oh, I have to live this out in front of other people, with other people, and mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what that meant or what that looked like. So it was quite a struggle during college spiritually, and. And just succumbing to peer pressure and to the social pressures of the party lifestyle, hanging out with people, especially since um, so much of that is intertwined with study groups. It's, you know, the more friends you have, the more social gatherings you go to, the more study groups you will be asked to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And so, especially um, being in a challenging um, college where it was very competitive, um, it, it just became something that became hand in hand. And so, um, and so as this went on, I, I was still searching and seeking, but I was still walking now, but at the same time I was walking away from the Lord. And then I took a social theory class. Mm-hmm. And in this theory class, we read a book called The Protestant Ethics and the Spirit of Capitalism. Oh. It was written by a German guy called Max Weber. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And as I was reading through this book in our theory class, which was really complicated, we had so many questions going back and forth. And um, in the crux of sociology, a lot of it has to do with religion. Um, I, I realized that what the Protestant Reformation did was that it had everyone thinking for themselves and reading the Bible for, for, for themselves. 
and trying to understand what God is saying. And I realized, oh, I need to read the Bible for myself mm-hmm. and truly try to understand what it, what it was saying instead of waiting for my church to tell me or show me how to live it out. Like, I could ask God myself. And that really transformed me and started a road back to mm-hmm. wanting to get closer to God or back to wanting to serve Him. And not in a superficial way, but actually trying to truly understand who He was and what He wanted in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a slow road again because I was still in college, still had so much peer pressure and trying to um, draw boundaries and lines. Um, and it was, it was quite difficult. But upon graduation, um, and honestly, it was the favor of God, I landed a job on Wall Street. Oh. And <laughs> I knew it had to be God because I majored in sociology. I had no background in economics, wow. <laughs> nothing whatsoever. But the doors opened and it had so much favor with um, the chief financial officer. And so I was working in finance on Wall Street as a project manager for some of their financial reporting. And... It just was a perfect, it was a perfect fit. I loved my job. It was long hours, but I loved the people I worked with. And I had so much favor with them. And um, and things were going so well. But And I knew that it had to be God because there's nothing that I did. Right, <laughs> so right. I had no background in it. And truly, his kindness led me to repentance. And so I realized, like, I really need to start going back to church and, um, and just trying to get you know, just trying to understand, truly trying to take the steps to understand him more because I knew that it was his kindness and it was nothing that I did on my on my own. And so I began going on short-term mission trips uh, mainly because I had two weeks off of work every year. And so the only time I really had to do anything was to go on a mission trip. So I began going on short-term mission trips around um, to different countries. Most of them were feeding programs at orphanages um, and in third world countries, like for example, Zambia and the Philippines. And so as I kept going on these mission trips, I realized my heart just kept breaking more and more um, for the field, for the people, for God's, uh, for the lost, and also even for myself, just wanting to um, serve Him, like completely serve Him. Mm-hmm. And during that time, the recession happened. And I don't know if you remember, but there was a recession in, um, on, in America. And I and my manager gave me the option because one of our companies was being sold. He said, you could stay here and continue working with us or and be do this for the rest of your life. Or you can go and continue pursuing you know, the work that you want to do overseas. Opportunities like this don't happen all of the time. And instead of staying here like the rest of us and spend the rest of your life in this office, you can go out and see what the world has to offer. And he said, remember, you always have a place to come back to. If you wow. get tired of it, you wow, don't want to do it anymore, you can you can always come back here. Um, but you don't have this opportunity. And mind you, he wasn't a believer, but they all saw the way that my life was going. And, um, and they all saw how much, um, you know, and the opportunities I was taking just to travel and do mission trips and to see the world. And, um, and you know, and they were older with families and, you know, they felt kind of pretty much stuck <laughs> where they were. But he, he gave me that option, and and so I took it. <laughs> I laughed, nice. and, okay. and then I went to um yeah, and then I went to the Congo to serve there for um, a few weeks, and I went to Scotland several times to serve there, working with drug addicts in a rehab pro- in a faith based rehab program. And so, and as I kept doing these things, I just the Lord was just 
kept tugging and tugging on my heart. And then, um, and then I went to India to work in a salon that where we witnessed to prostitutes living in the red light district right. and also their children that were born in the brothels. And so, and at that point, that's when I realized, like, wow, Lord, I would really want to do this for the rest of my life. Um, but honestly, I didn't know or feel like I was worthy enough for, to be chosen for him to call me to uh, to be doing this type of work. And then, um, and then he put it on my heart to go to Bible school. So I went to Bible school for two years, and during those two years, I just I kept praying. I just kept praying and asking God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And I was pray over a map of the world and as I prayed over the map I was just asking God where do you want me to go and honestly I was thinking I'll go back to Scotland to um, work with drug addicts in um, because there's a high heroin addiction in Scotland and um, and I thought that's what I was going to do especially since I didn't have to learn a new language but I couldn't take my eyes off of the Middle East and that was not where I intended to go. I didn't feel called to go there. Yes. Didn't understand anything about the Middle East, about um, the culture there, the language, um, Islam, Muslim religion. I just did not know anything. You know, I just kept praying and asked God, really, is this hmm. the place where you want me to go? And the Lord was like, yes, will you go there for a season? And I said, okay, I will. Um, but with all honesty, I did not feel equipped nor did it just seemed like such a faraway place so different um from what i even like understood and knew and so i honestly spent maybe a year year and a half just um volunteering at different missions organizations i even tried to get a job my job actually my job on wall street called me back and said hey we heard you're in america and um you know back here again would you like to start working for us again and i was like oh wow how does this happen like when your old job calls you back and is offering you yes. a position and so i was pursuing everything else but the doors just never opened it was like they were this closest they needed one more signature and then something would happen and they would have a hiring freeze and they couldn't get that signature and so I just went back and asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? Because every road I was trying to go down, all the doors were closing. And he just said, I only have one option for you, one vision, that was to go to the Middle East. Wow. And, and so then I began to just seek out how to get there. And so finally, I found a, an internship position open with, uh, with a Christian NGO teaching English. Now, NGO, and, okay, I just for the uh, listeners... Tell them what NGO means. So NGO means a non-government organization. Mm -hmm. So pretty much it's a non-profit. Um, so in the Middle East, a uh, church can't just go and plant, uh, you know, a, um, how do you call this, a language sense or a cultural sense or even a church. Right. Uh, because it is a Muslim country. And so you have to, usually you have to go underneath a non-profit or non-government organization or even as a business. It started up in that country where you could work, and and through there we um, just through our lives and as people ask us questions, then we could witness to them. So it's much like the Apostle Paul, when at times he would go and he would be a tent maker. He just practiced his business, and related to the community. Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. So a lot of the work in the Middle East is tent making, um, <laughs> and it's you know a lot of people have a different way of doing it. Um, but I, I find out to be the way that God's called me to do it. Uh -huh. and, and, and in a sense of tent making, um, we, 
how do you say this? In order, and also because it's a non-government organization, the funds that we get from the work that we do, we actually can't keep it because then that would be a profit. It has oh. to go back into the community. Okay. So I still have to be a volunteer where I have to raise my funds in the states, mm-hmm. so that whatever profits we make overseas, it goes right back into the community. Okay. And so, so. In, so in, may in I ask? Place. Was that like a relief agency or something like that in terms of helping or supporting? people yeah so it was it wasn't necessarily it was a cult, it was a language center so in the middle east everyone wants to learn english okay. so i started out working at a language center and because of the laws it was still considered an ngo or nonprofit because like i said they didn't take any of the funds um but right now i'm working for a relief development agency okay, i see um, yes because when i at first when i applied to go to the middle east um the war with ISIS had not happened yet, and by the time I got there, it did happen. I see. Okay. And so, um, so then the doors opened as I was over there um, to do relief and development work. Now, Kate, let me ask you this: Did you feel uh, at all uh, at risk or danger, or uh, or did you just see doors open for you, and, and you know God was protecting you each step? Can you share a little about that experience? Because it's very unique, uh, what you do. You know, I mean, it's incredible. Just share a little about that. Yeah, I didn't feel, I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, there was lots of fear. There was a lot of unknown at the time. But I, I personally didn't feel unsafe, mainly because, number one, I knew that's where God was calling me to be. And at that point, I had tried everything else wow. <laughs> not to go. And I felt more unsafe if I didn't do his will than if I, um, if I stayed home where I would have been technically safe. And secondly, um, I didn't feel safe while I was over there because um, the place where I was, and was staying, was they were trying really hard to, um, you know, pretty much fight terrorism. And they themselves were trying to keep their homeland safe. Uh-huh. I see. And so, and so they were fighting. Um, so they're fighting off the terrorists, and and because of that, it was um, we all felt safe um, because we because it also with the people. So, like teaching English, I was able to be with the people and spend time with them, and they would talk to me, and we, everyone knew what was going on, and and that things could change at any moment. Um, no one was ignorant of that. Like overnight, things could change. But at the same time, it was just this knowledge knowing that they also had no place else to go. So if they didn't fight for their homeland, no one else would. Now, Kay, so, there, can you explain the belief system there? I mean, uh, you know, you went from Haiti, where some family members were actually involved in voodoo, and then you went, you know, come to Christ when you were in America, and then the Bible school, and you see God lead, you see God answer prayer. So what did you encounter there? in terms of a belief system. And then I want to ask you, how did they react that you being a Christian and when you shared the gospel or shared your testimony? Yeah, so their belief system um, was mainly Muslim, Islam. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but because also, you have to remember, Islam was, um, it was something that came from um, Arab nations in the South. And pretty much as they continued to move Islam, they were actually forcing people to become Muslim. So the group of people I worked with were Muslim, and they would say they were Muslim, but they also knew that it was a religion that was forced upon them. And so they were Muslim by culture and by mouth, 
but they were actually nominal in the sense of that they really truly didn't understand what Islam was. They didn't read the Quran. They just knew all the cultural things that they should do. Oh, okay. And even and even as I talked to them, they would say, you know, we are Muslim. Some people actually study Islamic law, but for the most part, it's just become such a cultural societal thing where you know, people do it just, both, um, just because it's become a cultural norm. Right. But at the same time, it's still there's still persecution. So if you leave Islam, you you would be dishonoring your family. You could be killed for leaving or completely ostracized because you left. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, and so there's and and so since I've been in the Middle East, I've learned a lot that many people actually don't fully understand what they believe and uh-huh. they don't read the Quran. And so when they do read the Quran and they read what it actually says, sometimes they realize like, wow, is this really what we believe? So much, there's so much contradiction in this. Okay. Um, and also when they would hear ask me, because I come from such a different background, yes. um, I'm not the first missionary to be in the Middle East. And so they would meet many missionaries and they expect you to have a religion. So if you told them that you didn't have a religion, they would think you were strange because everyone has a religion. Right. Um, so that's a big difference between America and here. They really do expect you to believe in something. And so when I would tell, share with them my testimony about how, no, my parents, I wasn't born a Christian or into a Christian family. My parents weren't born into a Christian family. It's something that we all decided oh, to okay. believe in. It really touched them because they because they realized like wow I also made a decision to convert wow. out of a previous religion into Christianity that's good and I for like them, that. and for them it really touched them because because um, they have to do the same thing if they decide to leave Islam and many and it's wonderful to have many missionaries but many uh, many missionaries come from Christian families where their parents were Christians or and or their parents were already missionaries and they became missionaries and so for them they felt like their story wasn't different from their own. So in the Middle East, whatever religion you're born into, that is what you are. So you don't choose to be Muslim. You're born Muslim. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and, and even, and there's still the Eastern Orthodox Church in in the Middle East. So if you're born an East, uh, Eastern Orthodox Christian, you will always be, your children will be Eastern Orthodox Christian. So they don't, you, so they don't get to choose what religion they are. They're born into it. And so it just kind of touched them that I, my family and myself made a decision to to become Christian. Wonderful. Good, David. Uh, MJ, a couple questions. I have a lot of questions, but we don't have a ton of time. Um, what misconceptions uh, did you have both uh, about the Middle East and also missions as a whole? Yeah, so my misconception about the Middle East was that um, I thought, number one, well, especially the place that I'm in, I thought I would have to wear a head covering. I thought, um, you know, I wouldn't be able to do anything. <laughs> and then, but what I realized, and especially also even as a single woman, I thought there was no place for single women in the Middle East because it's so male-dominated. Um, but when I got there, it, I realized, like, yeah, there are other single women. A lot of girls are starting to go to um continuing the education and going to college. And so there were these young 20-year-olds who were in college and wanting to learn English. And because they were a wife, they had so much free time in their hands that they had free time to spend with me. And so um, so this misconception that there was a place for single women in the Middle East, that was one misconception I had. Um, you know, I have to be careful as a, as a woman, but mm-hmm. I could still go out and go to coffee shops with my other uh, female friends. And so, huh. so those are some of the misconceptions I had. 
um, and even as a missionary, um, I thought that people, I thought, honestly thought it would be a lot harder, <laughs> um, but I found that, and I'm not sure if it's just because of my simple background and that I stand out, but I found that people always came to me and they immediately had questions. And um, that was a shocker was how many questions people had about my faith, about my religion, about what I believe. And they just, you know, and because of the sensitivity, I have to wait till they ask me a question. Ah. And I found that because if I ask them a question, then they automatically think I'm trying to convert them. So let me but ask you I this, wait, MJ, mm-hmm. pardon me. What would yeah. be one or give me two or three of the questions that, that often they would ask? They would honestly ask me what I believe. Okay. And then, and, you know, and then there was, like, one of my friends, we went out to get coffee, and she looked at me, and she said, are you a Christian? I said, yes. And then she looked at me and said, I'm a, and she told me she was a Muslim. I was like, okay. And she's like, you okay with that? I was like, yes. And then we continued <laughs> talking. Um, but at that but at that point, what she didn't, she told me later on, she was like, no, she's actually seeking to figure out what religion is the right religion, because she didn't. Um, especially with all the terrorism that that was happening, uh-huh. she was really questioning whether Islam was right because it seemed to always lead to terrorism. I see. Um, and so it was just a really deep question because because it's supposed to be a a religion of peace, right. but then they were like, "We're we're in this religion and we have no peace." And then they would look at me and ask me what I believe who God was. So in Islam, there's lots of different characters or names of God, just like there is in the Bible. Right. And then so they would they really wanted to know who do I think or what is God's character, um, and in the Christian religion. And how did and you so answer? How did you answer that? I always answered with, especially with the place I'm at in the Middle East, that God is love, hmm. because and He is a God of forgiveness, because in the Quran. Um, you never know if you're safe. Um, you don't know if God's going to truly forgive you of all of your sins. Right. And and he doesn't come across as a characteristic as being a God of love. I and like so, that, yeah. And, and so I don't, you know, I don't go into the nitty detail differences. I just say, well, in Christianity, God is a God of love and he is a God of forgiveness. And when you believe in him, you have this assurance. That's that, nice. You know, he's, he's yeah. more of for us and not against us, and that he wants us to come into his kingdom. Do you? How do you handle uh, his son Jesus? Yes, and I tell them. Yes, I believe in Jesus, and Jesus is also in the Quran. Right. Uh, but the difference is that he's he's seen as being good in the Quran. He's performing miracles, but he's not the son of God. Right. And so what I've learned is, even though they don't learn much about the Quran, but they seem to be taught all their lives that God could not have a son. And it is quite challenging. And in another instance, I remember um, we were talking to this guy and talking about how, like, God is, the, you know, that he, like, Jesus is the son of God. And it was wonderful when someone else would say, well, if God created all of the world, he created all things, it would not be hard for him to come down in flesh and human uh, likeness. Uh, excellent. Yeah. And, and die for us. Right. And so it was really wonderful how sometimes God would just bring someone else to say something. Right. And then I would just add on to it. Very and I would good. and I and I would explain that he came to be the sacrifice, the last one, so that we won't have to continue sacrificing. Because if you continue sacrificing like they still do in Islam, that means there's no assurance that our, our sins are forgiven and that we're going into his kingdom. But he is since he is the sacrifice for all, 
and he rose and we believe he rose again it means that we have this assurance and so and i think that's really what gets them is that you know and through our lives and the way we hold ourselves and our demeanor um prayerfully <laughs> not always but prayerfully that we show a christ likeness but that we also show show that we have an assurance that we know where we're going when we die yes oh, right. oh that's wonderful mj MJ, what has helped you the best prepare for missions? Um, honestly, what helped me the best, um, it was going to Bible school um, because I didn't realize how much I didn't truly understand the Bible <laughs> until uh, I went to Bible yeah, me school. Me too. <laughs> and, and, um, but, it wasn't, but I didn't just go. I also went to Bible school questioning, so I had a lot of questions myself, mm -hmm. and I was seeking the answers for it. And so by the time I got to the mission field, they also had questions, but it was nice to know that some of the questions that they also had, we were both wrestling with, because at the end of the day, no matter where you're from, we're all human, and we all have, um, we all go through the same sadness, the same sorrows, um, we all have the same questions about who God is, like, wow. where is he? I mean, all these questions I had, um, and I wrestled through in Bible school, that by the time I got on the field, um, they had the same questions, and I was able to help walk them through it, or talk to them about it, and talk to them how... I felt about it and how I saw God moving and also the fact that like he is a mystery which one thing is wonderful is that um, I, they do understand that God is a mystery and some things that you know we may not have all the answers for but we have to sometimes just simply believe and pray and and so it was wonderful to also when they would have times of trouble that they would allow me to pray with them oh that's Jesus great that's great uh, in terms of what was the most meaningful experience that you've had so far? Um, I could give, okay, I'll give two meaningful experiences. Okay. One is that, um, you know, you you go on the field and you expect to save the world, mm -hmm. <laughs> the mission yeah. field. But honestly, God might be just calling you to one person or two people or just a handful of people. And there's this one girl who... She actually sought me out. She said that she saw me in the language center. She knew that she wanted to be my friend. And she didn't know how to get close enough to me because I already had so many friends. And so she really pursued me and sought me out. And only to realize that there's been other single women who've been in her life who had since left the country. And so to walk out life with her and to pray with her. And also for her to confide in me that she didn't truly believe in Islam, even though she covered um she was very conservative but then she would confide in me saying no actually i i really don't know what i believe and i don't know if this is actually the truth and then um her mother died recently um, which was a sad thing and i went to see her and she just said marsha i don't know where we're going and she said but i know that islam is not the way oh, and oh, i wow. knew that she and i knew that she knew that in her heart for a long time but this mm -hmm. was the first time she actually confessed it out loud to me and she said that I can't tell anyone else, but, and she just started asking me, she was like, um, you, I, I know you know something that I don't know. Can you share with me? So I just started to share with her about what the Bible says, what, who God is and who Jesus is. I mean, it's a lot for her to take in. Yeah. And, and she knows that. And she just said, I know that this will take a while for me to get it, but I truly, she just said, I just truly want to know who God is. And, and, and that's like about eight years of her, of, workers like other missionaries being in her life and i was in her life for the past five years and so to me it just showed like 
how sometimes God will send people to just one person. I mean, we were there, like, you know, there's other friends that have other stories. But I just saw the love of God even just for her and her family. Wow. That constant, that, like, you know, constantly she ha- she's had Christians in her life mm-hmm. and to the point where she's truly seeking. Um, MJ, and then another, yeah? I, I just real quick, what what is your vision now? What does your future look like? How is God leading you, let's say, in the next six months, the next year, the next five years. And, and Jan, how, how do people, if they want to help MJ, how do, how do they go about Okay, that? we'll talk on yeah. that contact, okay. Yeah, so right now, I um, so since then, I started working with another religious minority, which no one really heard of. Um, they've been living in the Middle East for thousands of years, and they were one of the few tribes that did not convert to Islam. Um, and so they've lived in isolation because of this. But recently, with um, the recent wars, they've been persecuted and brought out of their, um, brought, brought out of the isolation pretty much into refugee camps. And so I've been going out to these refugee camps with um, this people group who, honestly, they worship evil. So they believe in the Creator, but after creation, um, the fallen angel became the person that they, or the, became the angel that they worship. Oh. And so. And so there's this small, it's not a small religious group, there's hundreds and thousands of them. It's just small compared to Islam. And so I've been working with this extremely unreached group to just share, um, to share my life with them. Number one, I've been working in the camps, running different type of programs. Um, some, one of them is a breastfeeding awareness program and art therapy and also English classes. And so and through this, they've been able to meet with Christians or meet me and have ask questions and some of them have become believers but it's definitely pioneering work and um and it's an underground church because um because they've been in isolation for so long so only in the past few years have they interacted with Christians and even learned about Christianity I see and so currently this is what um this is the people group that I'm working with um so it's it's relief development work um as just the living in camps how long would you go for, MJ? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just want the people to know. How long do you go over there? Number two, how long do you stay? And David had a good question. Is there any way people can get in touch with you, or should they call me? Or you just uh, just a couple of those quick questions. Yeah, so I've been there for um, six and a half years, and I plan to be there um, long term, um, especially as the doors have stayed open in this certain um, area to to work and witness and um, to work in development and also witness to and to witness the people and disciple the new believers and so I'll stay there so as you know as long as the Lord's calling me to be there so for the next couple of years um, it's there's still lots of work to be done and development work and creating centers um, and also just the open hearts of the people because they are quite open as they've been oh. in isolation for so long mm-hmm. um, so um, and I think they could get um, through to you would be the best way to get in contact with me okay. if that's possible Okay. Um, I, I, uh, uh, just a scripture here tell me what you think because I know a, a friend of mine who's worked in the Middle East have often used this in Acts chapter 10 with uh, Cornelius he was a Roman centurion, but it says in yeah. verse 2 of chapter 10, he feared God, he was devout, he gave alms, he prayed often, and later on it says he fasts, which is like four of the five pillars of Islam. But he needed somebody to go to him, and that's when God gave Peter that special revelation, 
And I feel just like God led you, MJ, to these people that are really maybe ready. Like you say, they have open hearts, but often we would use, we had ministry even here in Cleveland uh, to people in Islam, but we'd often use Acts chapter 10 as a launching point. Yeah, no, that's perfect. I think it's so true because when I went, I went with no expectations. I just went with open hands. I said, okay, God, lead people to me. And he really did. And he led people who were already having questions or seeking and wanting to know more about who God is. Who God is. Is animism, do you notice that a lot there too? The superstition end of things of Islam? Um, yes. No, there is quite a bit of animism. And it's also animism that's carried over from their tribal beliefs. Okay, like um, the evil yes. eye and such things like that? Yes, the evil, the, yeah, the evil eye, the palm. Oh. And even um, with this new religion, um, they actually believe that a peacock inhabits the spirit that they worship. Oh, okay. And so, so animism is is really great, big, and superstition is really big. And many of, the, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that they do believe that there is a spiritual world. Right. Uh, right. And they just, but it's sad they just don't know the difference between what is truth and what isn't truth. I see. And because of the fear, and Islam is a lot of fear driven. Um, they have things like the evil eyes to try and ward off evil spirits. Right. But they actually uh, uh, go to another spirit to ward off another spirit instead of just going to God. And the hand of Fatima, hmm? the, the, the palm, the palm raised oh, up. Oh, yes, and the palm, yeah. yeah. And the palm goes all the way back, back to um, India, which has made its way across the Middle East. Is the palm really? and Hena, a lot of these have, um, a lot of these rituals that they have um, go back a few. Years. A thousand yeah. years. Okay. David, did you yeah. have a question? So uh, before we close, again, I want to say, MJ, thank you. Thank you uh, for sharing this testimony and your ministry. Um, I mean, it's just amazing to hear how God has used you and where he's brought you and the, the, the lives that you're touching for his glory in the extension of his kingdom and also helping people out in very practical, healthy ways and, uh, and teaching English and everything else that you're doing there. And if anybody that's listening would like to somehow get in touch with MJ, you can you can email me, John Murtha. My email address is MurthaJM, my initials at yahoo.com. It's that simple. And I can get that information off to MJ. And then... Um, Why don't you pray for it before we... Yeah, we will. Yeah. And then uh, we just... Uh, any closing thoughts you might have, MJ? We still have several minutes left, but I just want to... Uh, want you to just share what you've seen. You mentioned that people have an open heart. They're questioning. Do you see a move of God in the Middle East? I've heard that before. Maybe you could you could fill in that a little bit. Yes, I do see the move of God. Um, I don't think that God will ill for anyone, but I've seen how um, through so many of the wars and the different things that's been happening, um, there's been a real questioning in their heart about who is God truly, and they know because they know that God is good. Mm -hmm. uh, in their hearts, they seem to know this witness that God is good, and what they're seeing is not truly who God is. Um, and another thing is, I find that um, the prodigal son, the story about the prodigal son, really hits close to their hearts, and just the understanding that um, the father that welcomes back the prodigal son is God. And once they get that, they realize, like, wow, God is really open and wants to love everyone from every tribe and uh -huh. every background and uh -huh. he's not he's not just choosing anyone in particular he wants everyone and so that usually touches their heart deeply realizing that oh he also wants them very good 
Um, now, so you look to go in the near future. Did you have an actual time plan? And is it difficult now with COVID, visas, passport? You know, is there is that a real obstacle, or is there pretty smooth sailing coming back? Um, it is an obstacle. So the last time I was home was almost two years ago because of COVID. Um, they tend to close the airports and borders very quickly when anything happens. And so um, so I was only able to get out a few weeks ago, and I'll, and I'll go back in the in, a, in August, uh, while the doors, the borders are still open to return. Okay, good. Um, and so it, it is difficult, but um, but at the same time, I the area that I'm in is very open to giving at least a visa once a year, um, and so that's a quite a blessing because it's not normal in most countries in the Middle East. Right. But because of the massive need um, in the refugee crisis and constantly something's happening. Um, they've allowed NGOs to continue to work there Excellent. and receive visas. Nice. So I'm really, so while the door is still open, um, I plan to go back in August and continue my work there. Thank you. Now, MJ, people are listening, many believers, of course, many of them have a mission heart. How might they pray for you? I know you just mentioned pray for favor with the doors opening with visa and passport and entry and transportation and finances. Anything else that you would... Uh, and your health and your protection. Is there anything, you know, that you can specifically say people listening can pray and they just can say, you know, yeah. use MJ, you know? Yeah. Um, I would pray for wisdom on how to truly disciple new believers. Um, there's a lot of persecution happening, especially with the rise of believers in this underground church and um, and the people group that I work with. It's, it's very similar to Islam. It's just middle... You know, I think it's Middle Eastern culture also that once you leave your religion, it's like you're completely, completely leaving your community, and mm-hmm. so a lot of honor killing happens. And right now, um, a lot of the Christians are being accused and persecuted, and so right now, I just would love prayer for them and prayer for wisdom on how to disciple them and and prayer that um, that they will stand fast mm-hmm. in these times of trials and that they will hold on to their faith that they won't shrink back that they will um, keep moving forward. So that's really the heart of my prayer right now, and, and praying that I could be a light to them and continue to disciple them. And just even um, and pray that the lies of the enemy and the confusion that he tries to cause and division um, would not happen. Okay. We'll, I'll, we'll even pray before we close out the program today. Um, I mean, uh, I know David and me, we both are just uh, honored that you would uh, take yes. time out of your busy yeah. schedule to be part of the radio program. I know it's a blessing to our listeners to hear your story. Uh, I find it very interesting how you came from a family that many were involved in animism and came to another country and there your parents received Christ as their Lord and Savior. You were born anew, transformed. God put this on your heart and you're going to a people group in another country. Many of, like you say, are in superstition and uh, animistic and... uh, God's given you high favor, and I just pray that might continue. I want to give you a, before we close, I want to give you a scripture, MJ, and it's out of Ephesians chapter 1. And this is the Apostle Paul. Um, He says this in verse 15. uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love, this is like for you, MJ, all for your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him far at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So that's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 21. I just felt impressed to share that with you, MJ, before we close this this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And and um, I'd like to just pray in closing, and then I just want to tell the people again how they can get in touch with you through me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you have given to us. Truly, this is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And Lord, we thank you for MJ and her life, her testimony, her heart yes, uh, to serve you uh, in often difficult places on, around the world. Uh, I just pray, Lord, that you just continue to bless her so she is a blessing to many. I pray for that you give her strength and wisdom and knowledge, and your Holy Spirit would just fill her. Lord, that people would come up to her and just notice something different about her as they see the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. All of these are being exhibited, and they'd be attracted to her, and they would ask a reason for the hope that lieth within her. I ask that you provide for all of her needs, uh, health-wise, financially, uh, transportation, especially legally, visas, passports, gaining entry, uh, being part of a really good team there. And just give her a favor, Lord. Open the door that she can share the gospel and your kingdom might be extended. And especially, Lord, that she'd be able to disciple, that they would be able to disciple others. We just claim 2 Timothy 2, 2, that the same things that, that uh, Paul had taught to Timothy, that now he would be able to teach others who would be able to teach others. So again, Lord, we just thank you for MJ. Bless her, protect her, uh, give her high favor with the people, even while she's still in America, Lord. Open the right doors in churches, in Bible study groups, in Sunday school programs, that she can share her heart and the vision she has for the people in that part of the world. We know, Lord, you're not willing that any should perish, but that all may come to repentance. So bless our sister this day, we pray, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, MJ. You're doing great work. <laughs> Thank you so much. God bless you, MJ. We look forward to having uh, you... Uh, Maybe uh, do a call-in uh, when you're involved in ministry. Let's stay in touch. Okay, for sure. Thank okay. you so much. God bless you. God bless Bye. you, MJ. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.